few days ago, Kurt gave me a call and said, Brian, I need you to preach on Sunday. And uh, if, if you've got a busy week, that's always an interesting announcement in your life. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I'll tell you why in a minute, why Kurt couldn't make it today. And so, but when, when that happens, we have what we call a standalone message where I get to choose the topic. So I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick something easy. So the first thing I thought about was sex. <laughs> I thought about talking about sex. I mean, I'm the marriage and family pastor, right? But it's always fun when you're speaking and talking about sex and someone in the audience is going, why? <laughs> so I decided not to do that. I'm going to go for something a little easier, something that goes down a little easier. I'm going to talk about money today. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. And uh, so the title of today's message is The Woman Who Flipped Her List. The Woman Who Flipped Her List. And hopefully when you leave today, you will know what I'm talking about in terms of that title. We're going to talk about developing a basic plan for your money. Now, Kurt... This week was going to start his, his new series called Big, uh, but Kurt's uncle Don, uh, Don Bubna, passed away over this last week, and so Kurt, our pastor, senior pastor Kurt, and his wife Laura are in uh, Salem, Oregon right now, celebrating the life of, of his uh, uncle, who he dearly loved, the Bubnas dearly loved, and so be praying for Kurt. That was a big loss for him, but we know that, that Don is uh, with Jesus, so Lord willing, next week, Kurt will be back, and he will start this very important series called Big. Uh, last week, Pastor Matt spoke on following. Wasn't that a good word? You guys like that? Okay, three of us? No, come on. Did you like it? That dude, he is a great teacher. I want to encourage you, if you missed it last week, go online. Uh, go to eastpointchurch.org, download that onto your iPod, your iPhone, uh, what else is that? The iPad, so you can listen to it in your iCar when you're walking your iDog, okay? Because <laughs> it is a good word. Well, i got a little bit of time so I can go on a tangent. <laughs> Have you ever noticed with Mac products, the people that own those, they just love them. They worship them, right? It's like, it's, it's so prestigious. I have an iPad. <laughs> it's wonderful. I mean, it's so cool that if you're a guy and you're in the Mac crowd, you can buy what's called a Mac Mini, and it's still cool, even though it's got Mini in its name. Oh, it's great, a Mac Mini. Okay. But these Mac users, they love it. They're so dedicated because they love their stuff. They love their stuff. I think coffee's that way. When you buy a latte, if you get it from Starbucks, you hold it so everybody can see the little Starbucks symbol, and you're like, hey, what's up? You know? But if you get it from like Dunkin' Donuts or something, you're like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and then if they see it's not a Starbucks, they go, oh, I see you got something else there. You must be a PC user. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we love our stuff. Costco's the same way. Anybody here a Costco fan? Come on. We love Costco. It, Bryce just mentioned get your candy at Costco. You know why we want you to do that? Because Costco doesn't sell bags of candy. They sell like troughs of candy, right? I'm going to go to Costco and get my candy, but I need a truck. If I go to Safeway, that's too safe. I can't strain my back. I'll just drive my Civic over there and get my bag. But at Costco, everything is cool. Where'd you get those shoes? Got them at Costco. Awesome. I got them free when I purchased my frozen cow. We love our stuff, don't we? We love our stuff. In fact, we love our stuff so much that when we budget to buy our stuff, sometimes we don't quite have enough. 
right? We go to get that flat screen TV or that MP3 player or even possibly just that food we really like, like those Costco pizzas, right? Uh huh. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay. And you might be in line there and you don't have enough cash and that's okay because you'll just put it on your credit card, right? Just put it on that credit card. We love our stuff so much that when we don't quite have enough money, we just put it on our credit. To the point where now the average American, the average American in our country has between fifteen dollars and $16,000 in credit cards. That's what the average American has put on those. Now, if you throw in a few more debts, like your mortgage payment, your car payment, you know, your Best Buy payment, because you had to get that new computer. I had to get my latest iPhone. You put that in there, that's more, more money going out. And then you add in maybe a change of your income or a loss of income, and you really start to feel the pressure, don't you? Those payments are eating away at you. In fact, what used to kind of bring you joy, that stuff that just filled your heart, is now just creating that, that angst, that worry, because you're like, oh man, how am I going to make that payment this month? How am I going to do this? It starts to drain us, and eventually we cry out to God, and we just say, Lord, help us with our finances. Help us with our finances. I think this is something every single one of us can relate to in some way. We feel this emotional, this physical, this spiritual drain in our lives at times because of our financial status. And we think to ourselves, how did we ever get here? How did I ever get here? What can I do to change this? You know, I meet with couples on a regular basis with marriage issues. And and money is typically one of the most common and most frequent topics that I deal with. And I can be, I've, I've met with couples for 12 years now, and never once has a couple come in and sat down with me with tears in their eyes, and they just looked at me and said, Brian, we're really struggling right now because financially, we're just rolling in it. <laughs> we just don't know what to do with it. Here, have an iPad too. We picked it up on the way here after we stopped at Starbucks. Right? Never happened. Never happened. Most of the time, they're struggling with their money because they don't have enough of it or because they owe too much of it. It just eats away at them. Now, there's a lot of practical advice, a lot of wisdom out there. You can get it off the internet. You can buy books. You can read lots of things that'll tell you how to reduce debt and restructure your budget and all that good stuff. And it's important. And that's part of, of figuring out your finances. And we've ran lots of classes here at East Point. I, I think of the Craigs, uh, Jamie and, and Brenda. They run a great financial class. Our marriage mentors will do uh, financial mentoring with you as part of our program to help you kind of reel in your finances. We've done the Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace class, which is really good. It's like uh, 16 weeks long. It's, it's very effective with your, with your budget. And I like that phrase, financial peace, because it implies that we can have some hope with our budget, that we can have some peace with our money, But one of the things I think about is, are we having or are we gaining that financial peace because we finally have enough money, or is it because of something else? Is something else creating that peace? Here's a question for you. It's a very important question. I'm going to put it up on the board here. It's, how important is money to you? Answer that to yourself. Just, how important is that to you? What if you didn't have any? Maybe you don't. Some of you might be thinking right now, well, Brian, it pays my bills. Of course, it's important to me. You know, it's important to me for sure. It allows me to eat. 
sends me on vacations. It, it funded my wedding. That's an important thing. I got to have some cash because I got to load something onto my iTunes. Right? Go Mac. It covered college, bought me that car. Gives me spending money. But I think some of you really are sitting here right now going, Brian, money's important to me because I'm broke. I've been out of work. I don't have money. You know, a little bit of money would be helpful right now. That would make things a little easier. And we begin to think to ourselves, that's really true. What can I do without money? I need money. If I'm going to feed my kids, I've got to have money. If I'm going to pay off my house, I've got to have money. It's important to me. It's precious. It's, 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 it's precious to me. It's, it's my precious. Right? My precious. Like Gollum's ring, right? Like Gollum's ring, that money begins to tell us that it's the source of life for us. Money is our hope. Money is what brings us peace. And in essence, we begin to worship it. It becomes our idol. But just like that ring, my precious, it begins to consume us with this overwhelming desire to have more of it. Or at least to look at it and say, that's my answer. I don't have any. If I just had that, I'd have peace in my life. I'd have hope in my life. Well, God is aware that if we don't choose him first, we are prone to choose something else to worship. We really are. It might be money. It could be the stuff that money buys. It could be power, status, I don't know. But money, money has an unusual draw to it. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And listen to this. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. I was in a friend's office once. He had a little plaque on his desk, and it said, God and money. One I serve, one serves me. I kind of wondered which he was serving. So today, I want to talk about a very, very basic plan for handling money. Now, this plan is going to be based on the Bible. And if you're visiting church today, and the church thing is new to you, and this is new to you, and you're like, Bible, what does the Bible say about money? The Bible actually says quite a bit about money. But here's what I'd like you to do today. Stay and hear this message. Stay in here. Because I know what it's like. You hear, okay, if they're talking about sex or money today, I'm gone. I'm going to Starbucks. <laughs> this isn't cough it up Sunday, okay? It's not. Stay and listen to this. Chew the meat, spit out the bones. Because I think God's got some important things that we can all take away. The first biblical principle I want to talk about today is, is what we have been talking about. And it's number one on your list. It's on me, on the, or it's on, not on me. That'd be kind of weird. Here, number one. Yeah, that'd be kind of strange. Number one, of course, on the screen behind me. It's God wants us, money distracts us. First thing to keep in mind, that's a truth you'll find throughout Scripture. God wants us, money distracts us. In uh, 1990-something, I finished college. <laughs> Do I admit that? 92, I finished college. And uh, after about a year of paying down my student loans, I decided, you know what? I've been working hard. I deserve something new, brand new. Because I, the cars I owned in college had like pull cords on them to start them and stuff like that, you know? And I was like, I'm going to get me a new car. And so, and I, I look back at this and I go, why did, was I so into this car? And so the car I chose out of all the new cars I could buy, and I did want to buy a domestic car back then, for that was important to me. The car I, I chose to buy was a 1993 Ford Probe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 
What I didn't realize is in, when you get into your 40s, the word probe, that, yeah. Hey, do you want a probe? No, thanks. You can hold on to that one. So I get this car, and it was cool. It had lots of cool options and all that kind of stuff. I get this car, and I, and I love it. It just brought me so much joy. This is what I wanted. If, if I just finally got this new car, I know that it would just, it, it would make my life better. It would be awesome. Well, after about six months, something really strange began to happen to my car. The paint began to flake off it. This wasn't a 10-year-old car. I drive a car that was built like in 1843 or something right now. But it's, you know, this wasn't an old car. This was a brand new car. I paid thousands of dollars for this car. I saved up, you know, eight rats so I could drive a Ford Probe, you know. And all the paint starts to fall. And, you know, it just ruined me. It made me feel sick inside. I was like, oh, what a waste of my money. Oh, this is just going to suck the life out of me. Oh, my joy is gone. It just destroyed me. That was supposed to make my life better. You ever experienced that? You buy something and it falls apart on you? Jesus said this in John 14. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. I'm the life. See, God's desire is to save us from picking the wrong God. And let me, Ford probes do not make a good thing to worship. I'll tell you that much. But money and the stuff that it can purchase is a very, very, very tempting God to follow. A very tempting God to follow. A rich man once came to Jesus, and uh, I, I could just imagine this conversation. He basically came up to Jesus and said, hey, Lord, I rock. <laughs> I'm awesome. You know, I know all the Jewish laws. I do. And I've kept them all. So I'm just kind of wondering, is there anything else that I might need to do? Because I'm awesome. <laughs> and G it says Jesus. Now, of course, that's the original Greek, I think. But it, it's now Jesus... Jesus looked at him, and it says that Jesus loved him, and he said, you know, there's one thing you lack, just one. I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor so that you have treasure in heaven, and then I want you to come follow me. And what did the guy do? He turned around and he left. It says that he left sad. He couldn't do that because he had great wealth. He had great wealth. <laughs> this struggle in Scripture is nothing new to God. It's nothing new to God. God dealt with issues like this as far back as Moses. Now, if I'm, if I'm right, that's about 1,400 years before Jesus. Is that right, Jeff? Something like that? Ish? Okay. Jeff's like, no, it's 1,328 days. No. And 48 hours. No, that's two days, isn't it? See, that's why I'm not knowing these things. But it was basically 1,400 years before Jesus said this, and God is still dealing with this issue. In fact, he has to deal with, with the Jews who are basically a new nation. This, this is a new people. You see, Abraham and his descendants moved to Egypt, and they began to, because there was this huge famine where they lived, they went into Egypt, and they prospered. And this was God's people. And over the, over the time, they turned into millions of people, and the Egyptians feared them, so they enslaved them. And so now we have Moses, who God raised up to lead the Jews out, and he saves them. And, and so now these Jews are a new nation of people, ex-slaves. They are free for the first time, and they begin to... to to, to go through this season where they're kind of wandering, but they do settle somewhat in the Sinai Peninsula, and they begin to plant fields, and they begin to grow in their wealth. And so in Deuteronomy, God speaks to them through Moses, and he says this, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. 
And then he, then he gives some examples of what that tenth or what that tithe looks like. It's their grain, it's their wine, it's their oil. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the best of their herds and their flocks. And he says, you know what, at, at a given time, when I indicate, you're going to bring it to one location, and that's where we're going to store it. And then he gives the reason why, and it's the last part of this passage. It says this, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. It wasn't just to store up food. The purpose was that they would honor God. They'd say, hey, you know what, God, I'm going to give you the best of what I have because I'm going to remember this stuff doesn't give me life, you do. Now the tithe, this, ox, this passage mentions the tithe. The tithe is an Old Testament law. We don't have to practice today because of what Jesus did on the cross. But the principle here is something we have got to chew on and consider and think about. God started this practice so that they would remember to put him first by giving that stuff that they valued most. It was a reminder again that stuff doesn't give life. Jesus does. God does. God gives life. And they struggled back and forth. In fact, the Jews probably did really good at this for about 25 minutes, right? According to scripture. And then they began to struggle. And a thousand years went by where they would have generations over here saying, we are not going to give God squat. We rock. Glory to us. Right? They sound like that rich young ruler again. But over here, you've had generations saying, Lord, we were wrong. We're going we're gonna to give to you because that stuff isn't, that doesn't define who I am. That doesn't give me life. God, you're our life. And back and forth for a thousand years, they go through this until finally, finally, a thousand years later, this struggle that they had, God just can't, he, he can't deal with it anymore because they just keep choosing to reject God over and over and over again. So God speaks through this guy named Malachi, and he says this. Ever since the time of your forefathers, who would include, include Moses, of course, a thousand years earlier, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. God wanted to be first in their life. Honor me first. Be first. Come back to me. But you ask, well, how do we return? Well, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And then these people ask, well, how did we rob you? And listen to what God says. He says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now listen to the principle in this Malachi passage. There's no food in that house. One of the, one of the reasons was so that they would have something stored up. But everybody was, they were bringing their leftovers to God. When you read that passage, that's what you find out. They're bringing God their worst of their sheep, the worst of their crops, to the point where there is nothing in the temple, there is nothing in the storehouse. And God got after him, not because he was trying to just create another rule, but because he wanted to be first in their lives. But they were just giving God leftovers. He made that rule so that they wouldn't drift away, so that they wouldn't be distracted by stuff. Because money and the things that it can buy, that can't give us life. God wanted them, but their money distracted them. God wanted them, but their money distracted them. There's a second principle that can help us understand why the Jews and why we tend to act that way. Number two, our heart follows, our treasure leads. Our heart follows, our treasure leads. In essence, your heart or the passions that you have, they, they follow your priorities. 
or the priorities that you've chosen. Jesus said this in Luke 12. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever that treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart. What do you treasure? I once heard it said, you know, if you want to see where someone's priorities are, look in their checkbook. Or I guess their debit slips or their automatic withdrawals or whatever it is, you know, now on the computer. But you look at those things and you'll see where people's priorities are. And there have been tons of studies on this in our country. In fact, if, if, if uh, you really look at the research, what you'll find is that the average, average American really does indeed have a financial plan. He or she really does. And according to it, the number one thing that we like to do is spend money on ourselves. That's number one. I'll show it on the list up here. Number one, we like to spend money on ourselves. And the way a lot of research categorizes that is this is the non-debt-based money that we're spending. And we do. We, we, this is our living maintenance. We spend it on things we need and things we don't need. But we spend it on ourselves and maybe our close friends or relatives. Right? But these are, these are necessities and leisure costs. And we usually spend about 35% of our income in that direction. It really is just kind of it's, it's self-centered. And some of it is good. It's needed. And some of it isn't. It's for fun. It's leisure. We spend about 35% of that. The second thing Americans prioritize in, in their payments is debt. What a shock. What a shock. 30% of our income or more is spent on our mortgage, student loans, car payments, credit cards. 30%. Some studies in some areas have shown up to 70% of incomes being spent on that. The third thing the typical American spends, and you'll love this one, is taxes. 20 to 30% of our money goes towards taxes. Some people pay a little less, some people pay a little bit more. The fourth thing uh, Americans spend money on is savings. The fourth thing out of five. We spend about 6% of, of our income on savings. That's it. And the very last thing, according to the IRS, is that Americans spend between 1% and 2% on giving, on nonprofits. That's all. 1% to 2%. That's what we spend, and I'm just going to say, on God and on others. That is what we give. And so if you're the typical American, just the typical American, your list, your spending plan is to spend, mostly on yourself or you know, immediate people that are in your world, debt, taxes, save, and give. This really does tell us where our focus is. And it doesn't mean we are just these evil, awful people. I get that, okay? But if this is really our order, it can have some darkness in it. And being a pastor and a counselor, I come across this from time to time. I've seen some dark interpretations of this list of priorities. I was meeting with a couple once, and they came in. They said, hey, we're having some marriage problems. Um, they, they had just started coming to the church. And so I sat down with them, and they began to just share their story with me. And they, they uh, went through some sort of premarital. They agreed to have children, uh, but they couldn't agree on some of their financial issues. He made just tons of money. She worked almost full-time and did, just brought in a little bit wasn't a whole lot. And so they started to talk, and at one point, it got pretty heated over the money, and he looked, and he pointed at his wife, and he said, look, if you want to have kids, you get a better job, and you pay for them, because you're not using my money. And I was like, dude, okay, you do need some therapy. <laughs> and some medication, no. But uh, obviously, and he was, that, that did not change for that guy. So you can imagine how their marriage went. That money was his money. If, if you get some of it, it's out of his kindness. It's his money. That's what he's going to spend. Man, that's tough to hear. 
We have such a strong emphasis on self in our country. We just do. We just do. Now listen to this story in Luke 21, 1 through 4. It's, I, I've always fa- been fascinated by this story. Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he's watching people bring money and gifts to the temple. That's where just a little setup for this. And in verse 1, it says, or chapter 21, verse 1, it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw rich, the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. So they're doing the religious thing. They're bringing their tithe, so to speak, and they're putting their gifts in it. But he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, you can pull a lot out of this story. Kurt's given some great messages on this this passage. But here's what stands out to me. This woman, she flipped her list. She flipped her list. She put giving to God and others at the top. Actually, she erased all the other ones underneath it, right? She put God and others at the top of that list. Her heart followed a treasure that was not centered on self. Her treasure was kingdom-focused. It was kingdom-focused. And listen, you guys, all the money in the world does not build the kingdom of God unless it's given out of sacrifice. That's the example of Christ. That's the Calvary principle. Theologians call it that. That's what Jesus did. He, out of, out of a loving heart, was motivated to sacrifice himself for us because he saw us with eternal worth and value. And he went to the cross for us. He gave it all up. Paul wrote this in Philippians 2. He said, now listen, you guys, don't just look out for your own interests. Okay, in other words, take care of yourself. That's not evil. That's not wrong. It's okay to live, do life, you know, take care of yourself. But also consider the interests of others. And by the way, make your example, this is Paul talking still, he says, make your example Jesus Christ who sacrificed so much for us. That's our example. That's the person we follow. And for, her, for this widow, for this poor woman that had nothing, her gift wasn't a religious sacrifice. If this was just her tithe, you know, it, it wouldn't have meant much. Everybody else was tithing. God didn't point them out. But if you make giving a law, you just lose the whole point here. It's a heart sacrifice. Guys, she gave out of her survival money. That's where she gave it from, out of her survival money. And this sounds scary. I get it. I know. These are not easy times. 10 or 11% unemployment, there's a lot to worry about. But listen to the words of Jesus. In Luke 12, he's talking to a group of people who are seriously concerned where they're going to sleep that night and what they're going to eat the next few days. They are really concerned because they have nothing. They're broke. And what they do have probably isn't enough to live on for very long. And so Jesus, and they they share some of these worries with him, and Jesus basically says, hey, don't worry. Seek God's kingdom first. And these things, these things that you're worrying about, they'll be given to you as well. And then verse 32, and listen to the compassion in this. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. He's got this real, I mean, he calls them just little flock. I care for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, all of his resources. Sell your possessions. Give those to the poor. He just challenged these poor people the same way he challenged the rich young ruler. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The thing we treasure will lead us in life. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? This leads nicely into the last principle. Flip the list, get blessed. Flip the list, get blessed. Again, one of the most basic pieces of developing a plan of money is to honor God first with it. And I'm going to finish the rest of what Malachi uh, wrote. And this is God prophesying through him. And remember, Malachi was the one that God spoke through, who said, you guys, stop robbing from me. Bring in your whole tithe. Don't give me your leftovers. This is the same guy. And he says, and God continues to speak through him, and he says this in regards to this tithe. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And then he goes on, Malachi goes on to describe the kind of things that these people will experience. So how does God respond to our faithfulness in giving and flipping our list? He blesses. He blesses them. He blesses us. Give and get blessed. Give and get blessed. Now the idea of blessing obviously just doesn't belong to the Old Testament. This isn't just the old part of the Bible preaching at us. Okay? It's not. Jesus in Luke 12, we just covered that. He talked about if you give, you build a treasure elsewhere. You build a treasure elsewhere. But I think Paul, who again is in the New Testament, he's in the newest part of the Bible, right? Paul captures everything we've been talking about in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. And I want you to listen to the words very carefully because he covers everything that God has been talking about from the beginning of the Bible really to the end. Paul says this, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, so what God isn't saying is, hey, just, you know, give and and just suck it up because life's going to be terrible. No, it's God is at work in our lives. Things that really matter can bring us enjoyment. In verse 18, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. That is truly life. Give and get blessed. Now, I know, I, I know some of you are thinking this. Well, thank the Lord Paul is addressing the rich here because that ain't me. Okay, well, here's a couple things to think about. Number one is this. The average American is four times wealthier than anyone else in the world on average. So if we just randomly picked someone up from Europe or somewhere else, we put them up on the stage and we randomly took one of you guys and put, you would be four times wealthier than that person. So the first thing I want you to chew on and to think about is this. We are the wealthy. We are the wealthy. The wealthiest nation in the world, even on average. Secondly, go back to the widow's example. She had nothing. Really had no, Two half pennies is what she had. But when we give sacrificially out of our survival money, right, it expands the kingdom. God does something beautiful and eternal with that. The tithe, that's no longer a law. Okay, that's no longer a law. And if you're just going to give because it's the legal thing to do and you're just going to do it because you're religious, you've missed the whole point. You have when you give from your heart and it's sacrificial, it affects the kingdom of God. So what does it look like for you to give sacrificially? What does it look like for you? 
Lastly, God promises a blessing. <laughs> I'm a child of the 80s. I know it's a shock. I wasn't born in 95. And in the 80s, it was probably the worst reign of evil TV evangelists that I've ever seen. These people just ripped everyone off. They'd say, you know, give the Lord $2 and you'll get $500 back in return by the end of the week. Hallelujah. <laughs> and we're going to build cities with it and do all these weird, you know, they, it was strange. So I'll tell you, I have empathy for hearing these kind of messages. Like I was joking about in the beginning, this is tough. You know, you say, hey, we're going to talk about money. Come to our church this weekend. People are like, I think so. It's a hard thing to talk about. So I have empathy with that. I, I don't want to feel like I'm getting ripped off. I don't. But listen, you guys. When God said, when Jesus said that he would bless us, Jesus also said, I don't give as this world gives. There's a lot of theologians out there that'll tell you, man, if you just give, you will be healthy and wealthy. That's, I'm being nice. It's bad theology. Talk to Jeff. Send him your emails. It's bad theology. It's, in my opinion, evil. Because there's a reason why they're saying that. What Jesus does is something far more beautiful when he gives back. Okay, we don't use scripture like magic. It's not a spell to make us have money. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's about a relationship with a God who loves you. Who loves you so deeply that he doesn't want anything to distract you from his presence and from his grace and from his goodness. Jesus warned he doesn't give as this world gives. It says that in the word. And man, I tell you, when you've experienced Jesus giving the way he gives, you don't care about money. You don't. And I know he might, I guess, bless sometimes financially, but the blessings I think of that have happened in my life, they're not. Just this last week, I had an experience with the Lord. One of those experiences that are so rare. For me, the last time I experienced anything like it was 25 years ago. And I was uh, running along the Spokane River, which is quite a sight because I look like a two-legged giraffe and it's barely moving. You know, <laughs> I walk faster, you know. So I'm, I'm, you know, trying to get a little exercise in. And that day, I, I, I had this question on my heart that day. And it was really one of those, those, those questions that only God can answer. And I, and I didn't ask this out of depression or a sadness or anything. I just said, Lord, Jesus... What were you thinking? What did you have in mind when you made me? What was on your heart when you were molding Brian in your hands? And I was just meditating on that the whole day. The whole day I was. And so I'm running, you know, like the giraffe jog or whatever along the river. And I come around this corner and I, I start running into the sun kind of on this hill. And in, in, in an instant, and this is, this is just what I experienced. I, don't, I can't explain it. In an instant, I just kind of saw the Lord standing before me, and I couldn't see his face. His face was like part of the sun, I guess, you know. But what I saw, and man, it was just one of those moments where he took his hand, he reached into his face, and he pulled his eye out. It wasn't some gory nightmare, okay? <laughs> saw three or something, you know. But he reached out, and he pulls this eye out. And then in, in whatever way God does this, in this vision, I guess, he took that eye, and he it into my head and into where my eye was. And he said, Brian, this is what I had in mind 
when I created you is I wanted you to see people the way I do, with eternal worth and value. And then it was over, just like that. And I can't explain that, you guys. I can't. But here's what I can't explain. When I give to Christ, when I sacrifice to honor him, because I really do love him, I really do with my whole heart, I often think, man, Lord, uh, I don't want stuff. I just want more of you. I want more of those experiences. I want relationships that, that are beautiful. I want to be who you truly created me to be. I don't pray for junk. I don't pray for stuff. I want more of Jesus. I want more of that stuff. I want more of his faithfulness. But some of us, we treat our relationship like some sort of magical spell. You know, if we just give, then my 2001 Cavalier will slowly morph into a 2011 Tundra. You know? (laughs) Please, Lord, let it be. My wife and I, for years, you know, we, we sacrificed a lot to go into ministry. For years, we're told you'll never have children. You won't have it. <laughs> well, today I've got a seven and an eight-year-old, right? And one was placed in our arms and one in our womb. But both were born in our hearts. And that, and that early on, people prophesied, actually told us, hey, I think this is what God's going to do. You're going to have two kids that are kind of close together, that kind of stuff. And, and it came true. And so I, all I can say is, you guys, God doesn't give like this world gives. He doesn't. It's way better. Amen. The world can keep their stuff. The world can keep their stuff. I'm going to ask the band to come back. I have to look to see if they're already here. Okay. God's heart, you guys, is for us to live as we truly are. And worshiping money or anything else will not achieve that. The only thing that will achieve that is honoring God for who he is. Number one in your life. So here's my challenge to you. Flip your list. Flip your list. Develop a new plan for your finances that looks more like this one. This will be on the screen behind me. Give to God and others. Give to God and others. And listen, if you're visiting today and you think, wow, he's out of his mind. (laughs) And you're thinking, I'm never coming back here. (laughs) Bye-bye. My challenge to you is flip your list. See what God does in your life. Okay? Put him first. Don't come back here. Give your money somewhere else, some nonprofit, I don't care. Flip it and see what God does. I think you're going to be amazed. Secondly, save your money, put it aside, because that's going to prevent a lot of other headaches in the future. Third thing is, don't go to prison, pay your taxes. Okay, that's a bummer. The fourth thing, pay your debt down. There's wisdom in that, right? And lastly, rather than spend, my encouragement is for you to live. Live, have fun. Have fun. God wants you to enjoy this life. In fact, let's make this list completely, really simple for you. So when you leave here, you'll you'll chew on this. These are the three things I'd ask you to do. Here's your new financial plan. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Flip the list. Get blessed. Even if you never come back to East Point, give it a shot. See what God does. See what he does. Because that promise of blessing, that's throughout all the scripture. You can't escape it. He wants to be first in your life. Well, you might be here this morning, you're thinking, well, it sounds good, but I don't have a relationship with God. I don't even know what that really means. And maybe you've been coming here and just thinking about this Jesus thing. Well, I want to give you an opportunity today to give your heart to Christ so that when you're honoring God, you're honoring the one true God who is the way, the truth, and the life. 
His name's Jesus, and man, does he want you. He wants you. He does. So if you're ready for that, I, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads and just say this prayer quietly to yourself. Lord Jesus, I, uh, I'm new to this. I am. I've been thinking about following you, and today I'm going to make that choice. I'm going to do it. I'm giving you my life, Lord, because you gave me yours. You died because, Father, you saw that I was worth it. You saw I was worth it. So you are my God now. You're number one. And I have some work to do. I, I don't know how to change everything, God, but I know that I know that you're with me and that you love me. So come into my heart, Jesus. Make me new. Be my Lord because I'm going to follow you from this moment forward. I ask and pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Scripture says that if you said that prayer, if you made that commitment at that heart level, that there's literally a party in heaven right now. So ba, ba, or Don Boobna is probably having a pretty good time, right? Kurt's uncle. It's like, hey, a party at East Point. You guys give everything to Christ. Give everything to Christ. Joe and Betsy are going to lead us in one last worship song, and I'll come up and share just a couple closing thoughts. Is he your everything this morning? Because I'll tell you, in our culture, the one thing that's going to compete very effectively against God is going to be stuff and money. It just is. So will you sacrifice? Will you do that? Will you set that aside with, for the purpose and for the reason of saying, God, nothing, nothing comes before you. Nothing comes before you. You're my everything. God wants us. That money, that stuff that distracts us. Our heart follows our treasure. So you guys, when you leave today, my challenge to you is flip your list. Flip your list. Don't flip your lid. Flip your list. Put God and others first and begin to practice that. Okay, I'm going to pray in just a second. When I'm done, I want you to keep in mind we've got communion on both sides. You can just get up and partake in that. We'll also have a prayer team up here. And one more thing. If you're in a position where you're like, well, we want to flip our list, but we are drowning right now. We don't know what to do. Please call me. Come and get prayed for. When everyone's heading out, come up for it. Come up. Prayer is powerful. Scripture tells us that. God wants us to pray. He wants us to talk to him. Mentors are ready to meet with couples to work on money issues. I'm ready to meet with people. Get some help. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here that we would flip our list, that we ultimately would give and save and live, that we would apply that to our finances. And in turn, Lord, I pray that you would do just amazing things in our life. Provide those blessings that really are blessings, not just more junk, not just more stuff, but relationships and insight and beauty that we haven't seen before. I pray that people would experience that when they reprioritize, Lord, because I know that's your heart for us, I do. Help us with that, Father. Bless the new Christians that are here today that began their walk with you. I pray that they would grow and that they would live wholeheartedly for you. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing you can't forgive. There's nothing you can't renew. We love you. In your name, amen. Bless you guys. Give those pennies. 
Give those half pennies. Bless you.